Okay, we are we are live and we're ready to rumble. Hello, everybody. Hello. Um, welcome. <laughs> 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 my name is Althea. And my name is Manvin. <laughs> And um, we're the audacious aunties. I don't know why you're so resistant to an intro. It adds like well, distinctness. Well, I'm happy to do an intro. I just kind of didn't realise that we had one. We do have an intro. We do the same one every week. Okay, well, I'm sorry. I feel like my memory has just, you know, drained since our last season. So, I know I'm ready to do it though. Let's do it. Okay. Okay. Go on. Hello. Hello. My name's Afia. <laughs> My name's Manny Manvid. Manvid. <laughs> 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 okay. You know, I don't think you've ever referred to yourself as Manny on this. No, so that's why when I said it first, it really freaked me out. Yeah, it's night I think it's because you don't call me Manny. Yeah. Oh well, we've done this now. We need to we need to continue because we've already got one minute in and we can't even introduce ourselves. <laughs> Um, but no, anyway, um, we are now on episode four, I think, mm-hmm. um, which is really exciting. I feel like the season is already flying by. Yeah, my mum has been listening to it, and she said that she's really enjoying it. Oh, and actually, she told me to tell you that she was very impressed with the Bengali language movement episode. Oh, that's so sweet. That's probably like that. I, I, I know that out of all of the episodes that I will be hosting this season, that one is going to be the one that I know the most about. Um, so I'm excited to see how this episode compares to it. I'm very intrigued. Um, but yeah, no. First of all, how are you though? I'm good. I have like a very stressful bout of the week, but a lot of the stress has now like come to a resolve. So I'm actually feeling a lot more relaxed Aww. and I'm just kind of like pushing through until I get finally get back home for Christmas. Oh, that's lovely. Um, but also, nobody should ever get to a point of stress that's overwhelming, guys. Please take care of yourselves this life. <laughs> Clicks to that. <laughs> um, anyway, are you excited to know about, you know, what the episode is about today? I, I okay. Am. I feel like the way that I introduced that was very much like a TV presenter for a, chi- a children's show. Are you yes, excited, yes. kids? Yeah! <laughs> Good. Um, so, I thought it would be interesting. Actually, no, I didn't really think anything when I was researching this because I didn't realise this until I literally couldn't think of anything. So I went onto Google and I typed in, oh social movements that I should know about. <laughs> That's what I typed into Google like two weeks ago. <laughs> oh god. And anyway, so it turns out that Wikipedia has a whole page, like a, with a whole list of social movements. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But the thing is that the page isn't very good in itself. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. very, it's very whitewashed, very westernised. <laughs> It was very hard to find something actually that I could, I don't know, take away from like the Western eye, which I guess is why Audacious Aunties exists. So, you know, we're putting in the hard work. Yeah, we're doing it so people don't have to. 
Exactly. Um, but no, I did actually manage to find one thing that was quite interesting. Um, and when I first looked at it, it was called My Stealthy Freedom. Right. And I was like, oh, what a catchy name. I really like that. Um, so I clicked on the link and basically some of you might remember this because it's a current movement and basically it's an online movement that was started in 2014 by Masir Alinejad and she's an Iranian born journalist and activist so and she's like based in the UK and the US now um, but basically it was um, to kind of like protest for women's rights in Iran and specifically about the compulsory um, hijab wearing there. Um, so what they did was they posted photos of themselves without wearing the hijab um, and apparently by the end of 2016 the page got 1 million Facebook likes which is really impressive. Whoa, that's so good. Yeah, exactly. And it leads into quite a lot of other things that are, ha are happening in Iran at the moment in terms of like women's rights. Um, and it's just a really interesting kind of movement. So within that, I'll also be talking about Masir Alinejad like separately, but also some other protests that I thought were cool and then maybe a picture as well. Mm -hmm. Oh, very nice. Very good. Thank you. So anyway, um, Masir Alinejad is an Iranian journalist, author, political activist, and women's rights activist. Um, and she was contracted by the US Agency for Global Media. Um, and at the moment, she works for tons of people like Iran Wire. Um, she, she's on television. She, she writes for The Guardian, The New York Times. Like, she does everything, basically. It's quite impressive. Um, and it's quite jokes, because in 2019, she sued the Iranian government in a US federal court for harassment against her and her family. Mm -hmm. And I'm not quite sure what happened. I think that her family members were actually arrested. Oh my god. Yeah, so if I go onto the section of the Wikipedia page where it talks about this, it says that on the 23rd of September in 2019, um, the Islamic Republic security forces arrested three of her family members as retribution for her women's rights activism. Oh my god. Um, this is what Amnesty International says it's for anyway. Um, so her brother was arrested in Tehran. Um, and yeah, and then like her um, brother and no, brother, sister, and former husband. Those were the three people who were arrested. Um, and yeah, by officials from apparently the Ministry of Intelligence in Iran. Wow, so what happened? I have no idea. That's where the Wikipedia ends. Oh my gosh. I know, it's really I interesting. I feel like I have to find out. I know. Well, apparently, um, she also met with President Trump um, in, the, in February of that year. Um, so she met with Trump and Mike Pompeo and uh -huh. and then they said they met for 35 minutes and she highlighted three areas which was first um, many Iranians want to an end to the Islamic Republic um, opposition voices should be heard secondly international community should focus on 40 years of human rights violation by the regime and third the Trump administration travel ban hurts human rights activists and students not the regime 
Um, and I think that's a really interesting point, actually, because I think that, especially with the Trump administration, it's very easy to take this in an Islamophobic way. Yeah, 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 yeah. And that's kind of what I wanted to talk about further into this episode as well, because I think there's definitely like a fine line between um, criticizing religion, but then just like being completely rude and just phobic of any kind of religion, but particularly Islam. Yeah, I mean, yeah, no, I agree. I think that especially with um, campaigns like this, it's very easy for like the narrative and the campaign itself to be co-opted by like people who are trying to who could corrupt the point of the movement Mm -hmm. and try and make it about something else like it's so easy it especially with these kind of movements i feel like it's very much people the people who are leading the movement and talking about it with the media should be people who are part of that community Mm -hmm. like as soon as um like random white men and like people who aren't Muslim start um, like jumping on the bandwagon of the movement for their own narrative and their own ideas of what they think is right and wrong. That's when it all falls apart and nobody wins. Yeah, I definitely agree. And I feel like, especially, you know, in this post 9-11 world as well, it's very easy to suddenly just kind of attack Islam. Um, And I think that makes, especially like Islamic women whose rights, you know, she's trying to fight for in this moment, in this movement, I think it's very easy for them to feel uncomfortable too. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Um, for sure. So it's definitely a fine line. basically just turned into pawns. Yeah, exactly. It's the entire thing. Yeah, exactly. I think women's liberation is and religion is a really interesting topic that I think there needs to be more of a discussion on. I think it links to a lot of what we're seeing as well, kind of with racism post like BLM. I think it's revealed that a lot of white people specifically are kind of scared to talk about racism to people of colour because they're scared that they're going to get it wrong Um, and like they shouldn't get it wrong in the first place but they are going to get it wrong and I don't think that should stop you know a conversation from happening and I think it's the same with talking about religion Mm -hmm. yeah Um, I agree but yeah no so it's quite interesting what she's been doing and you know the, the kind of things that this gal has been doing so like for example um you know the queen's gambit's been really big recently you know um and in 2016 it just so happened um that iran was hosting the chess championship Oh, right. Oh, actually, no, they were doing it in 2017. But in 2016, Alina Judd launched a boycott campaign against it. Um, oh, what? I know, it's quite interesting. So the campaign was incited by another person called um, Nudzi Paikidze. I'm really sorry. I'm not pronouncing these names very well. But um, she was a Georgian-American chess player. And basically, the issue was that because it was being held in Iran, um, women who were attending the championship were forced to wear the hijab. 
Um, oh, I see. And so, yeah, basically, she wrote this really big um, op-ed in the Washington Post, and you can read it as well. Um, it's quite interesting. It talks about kind of like liberation, but abiding to country's rules and things like that. And I think, yeah, no, it's if you just literally type in um, what's the article called? The American chess champion challenging Iran's hijab fetish. Um, which I also think is a really oddly titled article now, now that I'm reading it. You know? Yeah, I agree. It's the use of the... Yeah. Fetish? Do we really need to add that word in there? I... Well, to be fair, I don't know if she probably titled it that. Normally, like... No, I don't think she did. Yeah, but I think it's also, you know, it's it's just taking the movement to the wrong side, you know? Yeah, 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 I agree. Um, But no, so read that if you want to. And I think you should, it's quite an interesting read. I will do. And yeah, so it kind of like goes into a lot of things that are happening in Iran at the moment. And there's a whole Wikipedia page um, dedicated and titled 2017-2019 Iranian Protests Against Compulsory Hijab. Oh, very good. Very on topic. I know. And so basically, um, there's a really big movement happening as well called Girls of Enkhalab Street. And it was a series of protests against the compulsory hijab. And they were inspired by um, someone called Vida Mohavahed. Um, and she was an Iranian woman who was known as the girl of Enkhalab Street. Um, so basically, she stood in the crowd on a utility box on that street um, in Tehran in December 2017 and basically tied her hijab, um, which was white at this point, to a stick and waved it to the crowd. And basically it made it look like a flag. So now that's become very symbolic of the movement. Oh. Yeah, it's quite interesting. That's really poetic. I know. So basically, if you type in, you can do this right now, actually. If you type in um, Girls of Enkelab Street, then the first picture to come up, well, really, like, the only consistent picture is this picture of um, Vida. And it's really cool, actually, just the way that she kind of does it and how dramatic the moment is. Yeah, I see it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I think that's the piece of art that I'm going to um, dedicate to this episode because I honestly could not find anything else. Well, that and the opinion article. Um, But yeah, no. So I think that, yeah, I just wanted to kind of like continue this discussion as well because like obviously as a Muslim, like what are your thoughts on like compulsory hijab wearing and, you know, kind of how to balance that with islamophobia and women's liberation it's an interesting question i feel like even within like my community Uh there are like there's such a spread of opinions about this like Uh within the muslim community itself um and like so me and my family we don't wear hijabs but i if i did choose to wear one like my family wouldn't really have a problem with it which i guess is like the wrong way around like you assume that they'd be encouraging it if anything but I don't know we're just like we might you know (laughs) (laughs) but uh, um we have discussed this uh, as a community and within my family as well and I guess I mean generally like we're on the side of everybody has the free choice to 
do what they want. If people want to wear the hijab, they can wear it. If people don't want to wear the hijab, it doesn't make them any less Muslim. It's about their faith and their connection with God. Um, And it's not really anybody else's business. I think where it becomes a problem is when, because there's like always two sides to it. You can't, just as you can't, you can't force somebody to wear the hijab, you can't force somebody to not wear the hijab. Yeah. Like, so I think it's very much just like a balance of, like you know the just pure choice basically it's exactly. as simple like, as I that that's what i personally settle where it's a choice some people choose to wear the hijab for religious reasons modesty and then some people just wear it even if they don't necessarily like agree with the whole idea of how oh, women need to be modest and cover their hair it's just um a way for them to feel closer to their spirit to like the religion and their spirituality yeah. and so i think that people need to understand the nuances of it and it's annoying when people decide to have an opinion when they really don't know like the religious context the social context and that kind of thing i agree and i also feel like especially within islam this is a really big point that's often attacked you know and i obviously it's important to like discuss gender roles within religion you know and like talk about you know the modesty aspect of it but as well as that, that happens in other religions too, you know, like women in Hinduism and Sikhism also have to cover their hair, like men also cover their hair and it's to do with modesty and respect too. And I feel like particularly in Islam, it's exploited a lot more than other religions. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, and then like you see countries like France as well, which has a very kind of like most um western countries are kind of based around freedom of religion whereas france is based around kind of freedom from religion that's a quote i took from a kraut video on youtube um but no so it's very much to do with kind of forcing religion away from the country and i think that's something that's really big up for debate as well because I mean, obviously they're doing it in the sense of liberating yourself away from like the gendered stereotypes that come with religion, but equally it's acting like religion in its own right is completely evil. And I think that's a very a very simplistic way to understand religion. Yeah, no, absolutely. Also, there's such a... I really, especially in Islam, obviously Islam is the religion I know the most, like the most well, Mm -hmm. Um, and its history, especially when it comes to gender roles and everything, is so vast and complex, like in the golden age of Islam, like there was a Muslim woman who opened the first university, Mm -hmm. it was a lot of like Muslim women, like one of the prophet's wives was like, um, like the business owner the person who sorted all the business for the family and I don't know there's like so many nuances and different ways you can approach gender in Islam and especially in like recent years especially in the 21st century end of the 20th century um that the how the conversation is is framed has been really corrupted and the way that gender roles play out I think has become a lot more toxic mm-hmm. but like there's such a vast history that it's not as simple as women are oppressed in Islam or like in any religion I think there's always nuances yeah. but um I yeah I just think that it's a lot more complex than people try to make out 
Yeah, definitely. Like just with the whole Washington Post thing with the fetish and then like Marcy going to see President Trump, you can automatically see how right wingers are going to try and use this, like use gender liberation as like their way into Islamophobia, which I don't think is a constructive conversation, both for religion and for fe like feminism, well, intersectional feminism as a whole. It's just it's just corrupting that pool. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And also, I just, yeah, this is why it's so difficult to have conversations about Islamophobia and, like, women's, a woman's place in Islam, mm -hmm. um, like, on a wider stage, because mm -hmm. it's just so easy for the conversation to be derailed and it doesn't allow for nuanced conversation. Because people always want you to be on a side mm -hmm. and it's just sometimes not possible yeah i think that's what makes me really sad as a whole in that like it's very easy to just make you think that it's dichotomic and that you know there isn't really any way to have a conversation because it's just either you think this or you think that um and it kind of stops people from trying to make an opinion of their own yeah. Yeah, no, but I'm glad that we're having this conversation. Um, and I think it was definitely something that I did want to focus on in this episode as well, just because I think that it's a contra like some of the things within the movement are controversial. But having said that, it's an important movement in its own right. Um, and I think it's a good movement overall. Um, but yeah, it's about like finding the nuances within it. Also, I am so sorry as well. There are like kids who are playing in some garden that's just outside of my flat and they are screaming and I don't know whether or not the um, mic is picking it up. Yeah, it is. I can hear it. Well, I can hear it. I don't know if the mic is picking it up. Oh, well, up. well, there you go, audience. You get to hear some kids, you know, screaming. Having a oh good time. <laughs> Literally, um, or because life is so boring these days, I, like, yesterday there was a ruckus happening outside our street, and we, like, opened up our blind to see what was going on, and we looked, and, at, like, so many people on our street had opened up their windows and blinds to see what was happening, Ooh. and we were all, like, properly peeking out the window. I hope and, you took like, a picture, that sounds very cool. It was too dark to, we could barely see anything, let uh, alone take a picture, rip. but uh, it was, like, it was, like, quite a dramatic ruckus, to be fair, like, Supreme COVID, you know, that's conditions, that's brilliant. I feel like that's all I really wanted to say in this episode. I don't know if there's anything else that you wanted to add to it. Uh, not particularly. I think it's good to sort of, because I think what this has made me think about is like every single movement ever, there's always more to think about than just like a movement can have an intention, but when it actually plays out, there are so many different like problems that can arise within it and and like aspects that we need to consider. Like even with like another example is like the Extinction Rebellion movement. The intention is good mm -hmm. to sort of address climate change, but the way it's sometimes executed is problematic. Yeah, I think um, it's definitely to do with like the idea being conceptualized but then being taken out of the conceptualizer's hands into something that's definitely like transformed by other people i mean obviously the biggest example is communism 
but no, that's not like generally. It seems like the movement has good intentions. It's about choice, you know. Mm-hmm. Exactly. That is cool. I think it is about choice, and if your choice isn't harming other people, then back off. <laughs> exactly. Um, but- yeah, I mean, on that note, this has been audacious aunties. I'm very excited for next week's episode. Me too. Oh, do you know what it's going to be? No. This is brilliant. It's going to be really good. I can't wait to, you know, find that list of social movements on Wikipedia. Oh, God. I feel like we've been quite modern this season, so I'm really going to try and kick it back a bit. See, it's really hard, though, to... Because, obviously, social movements have different definitions as well. Like, they could be called revolutions. They could be called rebellions or whatever. That's to do with the whole, you know, historiographical debate and, like, you know, who's making history. Which So it's really hard to find a good social movement that's called a social movement. And that hasn't already been, like, um, taken out of context by white male historians. It's disgusting. Yeah. Oh, well... Anyway, um, we'll see you next week. And yeah, bye. Bye. This audio was brought to you by Manveer Dob and Asya Iftikar. We don't know much to say the least. But if you would like to share your thoughts, knowledge, criticisms, fan mail. Then pop us an email at audaciousaunties at gmail.com.